Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 89 for the love of the game. Let's cook. What's going on, everybody? Episode 89 for the love of the game, a special daytime recording on a Friday afternoon on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. Hope everybody's doing well and a good year to all. Lots to talk about in the world of sports. Lots happening right now. So without further ado, let's dive right in. First and foremost, a uh, big shout out to the New York Islanders. Well, their magical run ended last night, losing 2-1 to one in overtime against the Tampa Bay Lightning in Game 6. This Islander team showed a tremendous amount of fight, grit, and it's just a very likable team. And an easy team to root for. And this is coming from a Ranger fan who's supposed to hate the Islanders because, you know, Potvin sucks and all. But yeah, tough loss last night for the Isles. But this team should be around for a while and be competitive for the next couple of years to come. And somewhere, John Tavares is probably thinking to himself, man, I really screwed this one up and made a big mistake. So right now it is Tampa against Dallas for the Stanley Cup, which would be an interesting series. But kudos to the Islanders for their season, and we'll see what is in store for them in the coming next couple of years. Congrats to Dominic Team for winning the U.S. Open, his first major title. Sure, it was a, a little bit of a weird U.S. Open. No Nadal, no Federer. Djokovic was disqualified in a weird way, but it counts nonetheless. He defeated Alexander Zverev in an epic five-set match, coming back from two sets down, winning the fifth set in a tie break to capture the title. So congrats to him, and, and uh, congrats to Naomi Osaka for winning the women's title, which I definitely watched uh, next to none of. Hopefully next year's U.S. Open will be back to normal because it's an event I absolutely love going to uh, and attending in person. So last episode, I wasn't too thrilled with where the Yankees were heading, but now it seems that the Yankees are back to being good at baseball again. They have won eight straight games and are absolutely mashing again. Uh, they scored 20 runs earlier this week and another 10 runs last night. They have absolutely kicked the crap out of the Blue Jays this week after sweeping the Orioles in the prior series. Uh, I mean, they absolutely destroyed the Blue Jays. They're getting healthy. Stanton is back. Aaron Judge is back. And maybe they are rounding into form and getting hot just at the right time as the season winds down. It looked really bleak for a while, but maybe they have turned the corner. And now if they could just win some a few games on the road, that would be super, super nice. A uh, big shout out to Luke Voigt, who has carried this Yankee team all year, especially when everybody was out with injury. He's currently hitting... 283 with 20 home runs, which leads the league, 46 RBI, which is second in the league, and has an OPS of 1.001. I mean, absolutely crazy. I know 2020 has been a strange year. 
So to say that Luke Voigt is going to be a legit MVP candidate, well, it's just another weird thing to happen in the year 2020. Uh, let's go Yankees. That's all I got to say. But yeah, unbelievable uh, turnaround for them. A couple of quick NFL thoughts, even if I barely got to watch any football week one. I know, I know. Sometimes life happens. Yeah, it is what it is. But here are some quick football thoughts. Uh, it's going to take me a while to really get into NFL season the way I normally would with the Jewish holiday schedule uh, falling out the way it does. So it's definitely going to take me about till week four to really immerse myself in NFL season. But a couple of quick hitting thoughts. One, I would really appreciate if the New York Giants learned how to run block. New season, same shit in this regard. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, 15 carries for six yards for Saquon Barkley is so unacceptable. The defense wasn't so bad against Pittsburgh week one. Daniel Jones looked like he's good. But if only they could freaking run block for the most talented running back in the league, yeah, that'd be really nice. Having said that, I think they win Sunday against the Chicago Bears. But let's see what happens. Let's go Giants. At two, I think the Jets are the worst team in the league. The whole roster stinks, and they should be looking for a new QB because Sam Darnold ain't it. I know they got a lot of holes, but guess what? He's one of those holes. Three, Joe Burrow is going to be really, really good for a long time. I was super impressed with what I saw from him, even in last night's 35-30 to loss to the Browns. He just has it. Whatever that magical it is, he's got it. We saw it. In college, and now it's translating to the pros. He was he was really impressive last night, and he was impressive in week one. They should have won week one. Four, I can't wait for the Cowboys to go eight and eight again. It's gonna be so glorious. More on this later in the show. But yeah, super talented roster, high expectations, and it's just not gonna go super well for the Cowboys. And now to the NBA playoffs. Lots to talk about as we only have four teams left. So let's start by bidding farewell to two Western Conference playoff teams that were just eliminated. Let's start with the Houston Rockets and their pathetic display of basketball. They lost 4-1 to the Lakers. The fact that I had to root for this team and James Harden because I'm exceedingly anti-Lakers was just a dreadful experience. And Zach Lowe was talking them up, and I, I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. But never again. I am never backing this team ever again. This team has absolutely no spine the way it's currently constructed. No heart. And James Harden is the prime example of this. He's the prime example of why this team is never going to win anything. So after winning game one, the Rockets lost the next two games. It's game four, a pivotal game, season on the line. You don't want to go down 3-1 because then the series is essentially over. But we'll get to that in a second. 3-1 uh, leads. So yeah, the Rockets really needed game four. They've shown some fight coming back from major deficits in game three with when they went small with only Jeff Green being the only forward on the court, which helped them mount the major comeback. So yeah, here we are, game four. Big game. And James Harden, who has a history of being dog shit in big games, well, what does he do? Uh, two for 11. That's right. Two for 11 shooting. One for six from three. In a game to save the series, just a complete no-show. Absolutely embarrassing. Yes, Russell Westbrook didn't have a great series. Yes, Daniel House was out. Yada, yada, yada. I don't care. 
I don't want to hear about James Harden being a top seven player in the NBA ever again. Ever again. He never shows up when the chips are in the middle and it matters most. He's a fraud, an absolute fraud. He never moves without the ball. When he's not uh, the primary ball handler, he seems completely disinterested half the game, standing by half court. And yeah, I know that's Dan Tony's system, but come on. And I know Russell Westbrook has his flaws. You know, his three-point shooting was pretty dreadful, but at least he will cut. He will crash the offensive glass. He'll give some effort. He would never in a big game shoot two for 11. He may shoot 15 for 40, but I would rather that than two for 11. I mean, at least he's going to go down swinging. James Harden, absolutely no heart. And Russell Westbrook, at least he's in shape. Even when he's coming back from having the coronavirus and having a leg injury, which he definitely wasn't himself in these playoffs. But you can't say that about Harden because he looked heavy like usual. Harden will never win anything, ever. And the fact that he was a finalist for MVP this year, again, was a joke. When he won it, it was a joke. He's a finalist. He's a joke. He's just a complete fraud. And now Mike D'Antoni, who was in the last year of his contract, is gone. And given where Russell Westbrook's contract is... In their cap sheet, it's going to be real hard to make real improvements to this team. Houston needs to blow the whole thing up. And yes, that includes trading James Harden, that fraud of a superstar. And now let's go to the Los Angeles Clippers. And I admit, I drank the Clippers Kool-Aid all year. When they made when they got Kawhi Leonard in the offseason, when they got Paul George in the offseason, I was in. I really love this team. But yeah, after being up three games to one, they lost the next three games to the Denver Nuggets. And man, game seven was an utter embarrassment, a truly disgusting display of basketball. Disgusting. Kawhi Leonard was terrible. Shot six for 22, 14 points. Paul George Calls himself playoff P, more like pandemic P. Was 4 for 16, 2 for 11 from 3. He even hit the side of the backboard on a corner 3 in the fourth quarter. He had 10 points. Just embarrassing. Those guys combined for 0 points. I repeat, 0 points in the fourth quarter. This Clippers team blew big leads in games 5 and 6 and were up 10 points in game 7 as well. And just shat all over themselves in the second half. The Clippers all year acted like a team that had been there before, except for a ma- one major point. They hadn't been there before. Kawhi Leonard's been there before. He's come up big in a big spot. The rest of the team, not so much. They were on cruise control all year. They never had any continuity, and it showed. It's just an embarrassing display. And I'll get to the Denver Nuggets in a little bit, but it's time to first play Asshole of the Day NBA Edition. And it's a four-way tie. And what do you know? All four players are on the Los Angeles Clippers. So let's start with uh, number one, Patrick Beverly, the little guy at the park that talks all the crap but can't play. He's dirty. He thinks he's super tough, but he isn't. He's all bark and no bite. Pat Bev talking shit all playoffs and then gets a 40-piece dropped on him by Jamal Murray in Game 7. A whopping 6.3 points per game and 2.4 assists per game in the playoffs. Just shut up, dude. And especially, don't talk crap to guys who are way better than you that you've done all bubble long. Uh, Examples being Luka Doncic 
and Damian Lillard. He's a loser and a co-winner of Asshole of the Day NBA Edition. And that garbage he pulled at the end of Game 6 with Jamal Murray, that dirty play, I mean, sums up Pat Beverly in a nutshell. I'm so glad that he's out of my life for the next couple of months. Well, he's not the only one. I said there were four co-winners. Uh, number two, Montrez Harrell. Come on down. He takes a share of the award, too. Got his ass handed to him by Nikola Jokic all series long. He was like a minus 40 for the series. Yet all he does is do a lot of woofing on the court. A lot of false bravado for him calling himself the modern-day Dennis Rodman. Just shut up, dude, and take your ass kick. He embarrassed himself all playoffs long. He cost himself a boatload of money in the offseason because he's a free agent this offseason. Montrezl Harrell did not have himself a good playoffs. But yeah, that brings me to number three. Number three, co-winner, Lou Williams. Lemon Pepper Lou, as he calls himself, after uh, you know having wings named after him at uh, Magic City in Atlanta. Well, his crap doesn't work in the playoffs, yet giving himself a nickname. I've said it before the playoffs started. Less Lou Williams, the better for the Clippers because he can't play defense and isn't nearly as effective on offense because the refs don't bail him out with calls and he doesn't get to the line nearly as much. And yeah, he cost himself, you know, and the Clippers extra continuity by his actions going to Magic City in Atlanta when he had to leave the bubble. Lou Williams, you are a co-winner of Asshole of the Day. And last but not least, Marcus Morris, another fake-ass tough guy, always looking for a fight, always looking to push people around, whether it was Luka Doncic or Paul Millsap in the second round, and yet is scared shitless in a big spot. I've always hated him. I mean, when he was a Nick, it was atrocious to watch him play basketball. And for the Clippers, he was just another bully with no substance behind him. Thank goodness he's gone. Had enough of him. So yeah, those are your co-winners of Asshole of the Day NBA edition. And now uh, for Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, who's a great guy, smart basketball mind, but I don't know. He's the only coach in history to blow two, three, one playoff leads. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing. He just doesn't run anything. Like, he makes no adjustments. And yeah, he was lucky enough in 2008 to have Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen be dropped in his lap in a point of their careers where they were desperate to win. And KG, who's one of the 25 greatest players to ever play. Uh, but yeah, Doc Rivers, like, what are you doing, man? I mean, your act is old with this Clippers team. He's had so many talented players over the year. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, all these guys. And they have won squat. And they have blown big leads. As I said, two 3-1 series leads in the playoffs. The only coach to do that. I know I mentioned that before, but it, it it's worth reiterating. If I were the Clippers, given what's going on, because Kawhi Leonard could leave in a year. Paul George, which maybe may be a good thing. We'll get to him in a second. Could leave in a year. Uh, this Clippers thing, I think it's time to replace Doc Rivers. He's just not good enough. Look at the Toronto Raptors, right? The Toronto Raptors would get there. They'd lose to LeBron in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And then they fired Dwayne Casey, who was coach of the year, brought in Nick Nurse. And they win a title. Yeah, they got Kawhi Leonard. That's a major, major addition. But 
it takes, you know, a certain coach at a certain point just loses it, just loses the locker room and doesn't have the same effect. And forward thinking teams know when that message from that coach is stale and it's time to do something else. And I really think it's time to do something else for the Clippers in this respect. I don't think Doc Rivers should be back. And that brings me lastly to Paul George. He dubs himself Playoff P, uh, but more likely Pandemic P. I mean, what an embarrassing display that he had in Game 7. Yeah, I know Kawhi Leonard didn't play well, and I'm going to give Kawhi Leonard a pass, as Ryan Rosillo said, because we've seen him do it before. You know, he only had one of the most impressive runs you've ever seen last playoffs. Uh, he uh, Finals MVP, all that. So, yeah. He has a track record. He gets a pass. Paul George, you have no track record. You carry yourself like a top 10 guy, but you routinely fold in the playoffs. I mean, it happened his two years in Oklahoma City where he was garbage, uh, getting a three ball in his eye at the end of uh, last series, um, game five, last year from Damian Lillard, and then has the gall to talk crap to Damian Lillard this postseason in the bubble when he's just been terrible most of the season. Paul George and, and Stephen A. Smith actually said it great. He's in danger of becoming the next Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight Howard, his first, you know, nine years of his career, super impressive. I mean, Dwight Howard took his team to the finals. Paul George hasn't even sniffed the finals. Dwight Howard, but then he's just a weird guy and his career kind of fell off. And, and Paul George is in danger of becoming the next Dwight Howard in that respect. I mean, this guy was third in MVP voting last year, but was atrocious. And not just atrocious, like it's one thing to play poorly, like Kawhi Leonard did, but he was scared. I mean, you're a max player. They traded oodles upon oodles of draft capital to get you, to pair you with Kawhi Leonard. You're supposed to be a top 12 guy in this league. You can't look like a deer in the headlights in a game seven. It's one thing to shoot poorly. It's another thing to look like you're going to pee yourself every time you touch the ball. And that's what he looked like. Man, he looked like a fraud. That Clippers trade with Oklahoma City could end up being one of the worst trades in NBA history. Because, man, Paul George, like, just, just embarrassing. Just absolutely embarrassing. So bon voyage to the Clippers, uh, a team that carried itself like a champion, yet they haven't won anything. And again, I fell for it. I did. I'm going to say it once. I'm going to say it again. I picked them to win the Western Conference. I was wrong. Clippers are going fishing, but couldn't happen to a better bunch of guys. On to the Denver Nuggets. I mean, what else can you say about Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray? We'll start with Jamal Murray. Dropped another 40-piece in Game 7. I He's the one guy this off, this bubble experience that has really changed my perception of him. Again, he's never averaged 20 points a game in the regular season before. And he was just absolutely money in the playoffs. Absolutely money. Comes up huge, huge in every playoff series. I mean, you saw it last round against the Jazz. He was otherworldly. For most of that series and you know in a game seven stones on the table a 40 piece and Nikola Jokic who even though Jamal Murray scored 40 points was the best player on the court I mean 
just controlled the game. He was a maestro. It looked like Magic Johnson type stuff with the passing and just the way he controlled the game. Can't say enough about him. I'm tired of of doubting Nikola Jokic. I know I bag on his defense sometimes, but he is so incredibly special. I will never, ever think that Joel Embiid is going to be better than Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is incredibly, incredibly special. So shout out to the Denver Nuggets, man. I mean, coming back from 3-1, just, just a gritty, gritty bunch and a really fun team to root for. And yes, I'm rooting for them hard against the Lakers in the uh, Western Conference Finals with Game 1 starting tonight. Let's go, Nuggets. Shock the world. Continue this magical run. Let's do this, Denver. Uh, one quick thing before we get into uh, today's guests. So Boston-Miami uh, series started already. Boston is now down two games to none against Miami. I mean, you had the unbelievable block by Bam Adebayo in overtime to preserve the win. And then in this game, Jimmy Butler, who scored like no points all game, absolutely dominates the last five minutes. Couple of key buckets, a steal here, a steal there, big rebounds, just a foxhole guy if you ever needed one. Gordon Dragic, who the Heat almost traded at the trade deadline, made huge shots. And yeah, Miami, who I picked to win the title. I said the winner of Milwaukee versus Miami is going to win the title, and it seems to be Miami. I think Miami's going to win the title. This team is awesome. Bam Adebayo is awesome. And Tyler Hero, 20 years old, coming up huge in the playoffs, Duncan Robinson. It pains me how much I love this Miami Heat team. Just a team you know, built, as I said last episode, in the image of Pat Riley and the toughness that is Pat Riley, which, as I detailed last time, should have been done in New York, but Dave Checkets is a jerk. Love what I see out of this Miami Heat team. And for Boston, I mean – the late game offensive execution is just dreadful. You know, they slow it down. It's just too much one-on-one, -on -one, completely flummoxed by a zone defense. Come on now. I mean, just, and also a lack of effort, not getting to any loose balls. Every 50-50 ball has gone to Miami and Miami deserves to be up to nothing. And uh, Jason Tatum, who is awesome, super young guy, one of the, 12 to 15 best players in the league coming into his own is awesome. But one of my friends from LA was talking all this crap about Jason Tatum becoming the second coming of Kevin Durant. I mean, let's slow down. Guys never scored 25 points a game in a season. Uh, he's not Kevin Durant just yet. He's good, but he's not Kevin Durant. And he's had some shaky, shaky moments late in games. I think this, I picked this series to go six. Uh, with Miami winning it, we'll see what happens for the rest of the series. But I am super impressed with Miami and Boston. You got to be kicking yourselves after winning a hard-fought series, uh, seven-game series against Toronto. It has not looked good for Boston right now, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better with Miami ascending the way they have been. Miami's been the most impressive team in Orlando so far. Whether it was the seeding games, whether it's been the playoffs, they are – 10-1 in the playoffs so far. So, yeah, I think the Miami Heat are going to win the title. Anyway, having said all that, it's time to get into our guests um, talking a little bit about the Mets sale and some football topics in just a moment. All right, so I teased it a little bit before. I've got two recurring guests uh, back on the show, uh, Mr. Phil Bowsk and Mr. Moshe Cook. we got a bunch of things to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Phil. 
You are uh, one of the uh, the higher ups now of the National Basketball Association. Well, uh, head of PR for the G League coming forward, but you had the um, the ability to be in, or I should say, you had the pleasure of being in Orlando uh, for a couple of weeks for the bubble. So uh, before we get into the main topics, just tell us a little bit about what it was like being in Orlando, what the vibe was like. Uh, give us some details. Sure. Uh, first, happy to be back. Disclaimer, definitely not among the higher rankings people in the NBA, <laughs> uh, but maybe compared to like people we might know, but it's, it's going all right. So yes, I was in, uh, there are two bubbles down there. There's the green zone, which is essentially the first tier of bubble, which is players, coaches, some family members now, and very limited media and NBA staff. And then there's the yellow zone, which was where I was. Which is basically you're just watching the games from you're basically on a whole upper deck level, so you just can't interact with anyone in the green zone. Um, so I spent a lot of time uh, with media like Tim Bontemps from ESPN and uh, Dan Oki from LA Times, et cetera, guys like that. And uh, yeah, it was an experience. I mean, you spend three weeks at a nice hotel, but you can't really you can't leave your room unless you're going to essentially do something. Um, so. No one can come in and out of your room, so if you want to see people, it has to be in a shared space. Uh, you get tested twice a week, which was fun because I was afraid they were going to stick something up my nose so far I feel it in my brain, but uh, it was just a nice little tickle. I actually look forward to it every time I got tested. Um, as most of you know, deeply into nose stuff. And uh, really, it was just a lot of fun to, you know, when you're at the games, you first are, you realize you're in this empty arena watching. NBA teams just play basketball, but as the games get closer towards the end of them, you totally forget where you are. You forget you're in this isolated experience, and, you, and you're thrown into the game. Um, a perk about being in the bubble is at the hotel, you're staying essentially with ESPN, TNT, all, a lot of broadcast people, as well as front office members. Uh, I Steve Ballmer was in the room across from me, uh, which was fun. I uh, limited interaction. He kind of scared the crap out of me. Uh, uh, but I also had the pleasure of having conversations with Dennis Lindsay of the jazz and some of the guys from TNT. I, I, I rekindled my friendship with Mark Jackson, who definitely has no idea what my name is, but he knows, definitely knows who I am. Uh, and it was definitely a lot of fun and, uh, I'm happy they're, they're going to be able to finish it out. It seems like even if the Celtics don't get to the finals because they stopped playing hard, uh, it, it was an experience. It's something I'll never forget, and I hopefully will never have to do it again. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have loved to have spent two weeks there, even with all the craziness, because I'm I'm obviously a basketball junkie. But, uh, yeah, I wish you would have told Mark Jackson that he's absolutely terrible on the broadcasts, uh, especially when he does them without <laughs> Jeff Dan Gundy, because he's, he's an absolute train wreck. I can. He's so nice to me. He talks to me every time. Like he comes and says hi to me, even if I'm like my back is turned. Um, and uh, a big part also of the bubble though is that in, as a PR person, you can't react to stuff that happens in the bubble. So I don't know how well you would do. I don't think you'd be able to hold in any reactions from buzzer beaters or stuff like that. I expect like a loud tope and like, Oof! like anytime something big happens, like, <laughs> that doesn't fly in the bubble. Well, then, then I definitely would have gotten scolded by uh, other people in the press box because, you know, I just – some like when the Bam Adebayo block happened, I was like, oh, no, that's – Yeah. I mean, whatever, you, you, you can't hold back. Uh, did you get a chance to talk to Charles Barkley? Uh, no, they, they are in their studio. Oh, that's right. They're in their studio in Atlanta. 
but like Joris Burke and Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy and Mike Breen, they're all they're all in the same place. Uh, and then you have like I went I went to the lobby once to get something to drink and like Pat Riley sitting there eating his dinner. So it's stuff like that that happens, and it's it's pretty. Are you uh, best like, friends with Steve Steve Ballmer now? Uh, no, I just he declined to golf with me. And he just stares at me like I'm insane. Like I'm not like he thinks I'm following him around, but we just happen to be in the rooms across from each other, book the same tea time and go to the gym a lot at the same time. And I promise I'm not into him physically. So I'm not really sure why he thinks I'd be following him around. <laughs> well, Steve, Ball- we've seen clips of Steve Ballmer, uh, you know, in Microsoft, uh, you know, presentations of him acting like an absolute lunatic. So I expected nothing else from him. But yeah, the reason I wanted to have you guys on is obviously there was major news in New York sports. Um, Moshe Cook, you are a long-suffering Mets fan. Phil, you have worked for the Mets for a little bit. Um, The Mets have been sold to Steve Cohen. So uh, first and foremost, Moshe, the floor is yours. Let it all Um, It really, it's kind of still surreal. Uh, The Wilpons obviously are part of a group of just New York city has some terrible sports owners and namely the will ponds and Dolan, with the Knicks and the jets. And they're also run extremely poorly, but uh, you know, it really has felt like this is something that was never ever going to happen. And that the only way the Mets were ever going to be competitive was, you know, you stumble into a 2015 situation where you trade for the ONS Espedes and he just has an ungodly, six weeks and they're able to make a run to the world series. Um, you know, you look at the team and who they have and, you know, they have the best pitcher in the league and they have guys like Alonzo and Jeff McNeil and Dominic Smith and just guys who can conforto guys who can play, but it never all comes together because ownership and due to some financial decisions that they've made in the past, um, really were not able to float a baseball team in New York and, and have a, a, even a league average payroll. So the mere notion that we are, They've been sold to a guy who just has oodles of money um, is great. And it's really, really exciting uh, because, you know, immediately you hear that they're going to have an owner who, and you look at the free agents and maybe we can get JT Real Muto and maybe we can get Trevor Bauer. And even if these things don't all happen, it, it actually feels like a possibility. Whereas it used to be going to the off season, knowing that the Wilpons wouldn't do anything to actually improve the team. But more importantly, um, it seems that Steve Cohn is a guy who is going to bring in a real functioning analytics staff. And I, I bet Phil could probably talk more to this having worked in that office um, and just kind of the very old school backwards way that they view baseball and how to build a team. Um, so it's, it's really crazy. And Mets fans, you know, we're finally hopefully going to be able to play with the big boys and build around a really good core that they've built up. You know, that Sandy Alderson helped to build, hopefully to get rid of, Rody Van Wenigen as uh, the general manager because he seems like he just has no idea what he's doing uh, and just get some good, smart baseball people in. And it's a really exciting time. And it could, you know, we are Mets fans, so it could all go up in flames and something could go terribly wrong. Uh, and then this never even happens. But it's really astounding that the Wilpons are finally gone. Um, you know, since 2009, basically, when they moved into City Field, has, that's basically been a run of terribleness with some flashes of, of you know, the 2015 year and they were good the year after, uh, but just shortcomings for years and years and years and wasting primes of incredible talents. Uh, so it's a great day. It's a great day for New York sports. It's a great day for baseball in general, hopefully have one of their premier market teams, uh, be able to play in the spotlight again. Um, 
so yeah, it's only enthusiastic, ecstatic, great, great things. Phil, before we get to you in a second, motion. Did did you think obviously this is and for anybody in New York, especially for Mets fans, that this is huge, right? That this is huge news. But didn't you think that it kind of flew under the radar a little bit? Like, wasn't that a little weird? I know there's a lot going on with all the four major sports are playing right now. You know, it's been a weird calendar year, but I don't know. To me, it just seemed like this should have been a bigger deal in terms of the sports landscape. And it, and it kind of got swept up under the rug. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think there's, you know, it happened basically right as football was starting, right as we were heading down the stretch of the NBA playoffs into the conference finals. Um, then, you know, you have hockey heading towards the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, it was on the back pages here the day after. Um, I think once Steve Cohn really takes control, it's not finalized, I believe, until the winter meetings when there's a, a, a vote uh, amongst all the league owners to formally make this change. And then hopefully we start seeing the Mets make some moves. And then it's really like, wow, this is a different team. This is a different ownership group. Uh, and that, you know, but I couldn't care less if it made shockwaves, uh, throughout the rest of sports media, as long as it actually happened, you know, I guess if like Jim Dolan actually filled the Knicks, that would probably be a bigger deal. Um, from your mouth to cares? God's ears. Yeah. From your mouth you know, to if God's the Wilpons can get rid of them, maybe there's hope that one day Jim Dolan will be gone too. I also like to point out there is no God, so it's all right. <laughs> So, so Phil, Phil, you worked for the, uh, you worked for the Mets for a, a bit, obviously, you know, you kind of, not that you necessarily knew all the inner workings, but you were in the organization, uh, during the, the Will Ponds run. So now when you see the sale go through, I, I guess, first of all, what were your experience working for the Mets and, um, and what are your reactions now that, uh, the Will Ponds are out? Well, experience working for the Mets, I feel like I'm in an interview, um, so first of all, a couple of notes to what, what was what uh, Moshe touched on. One, I'd loved for a podcast to be created where Moshe just says oodles over and over. I'd really definitely get behind that. Uh, and secondly, um, he says that Mets never really had a league average payroll. I'm going to give like the Pirates fans and Marlins fans a break. And Mets had always had a, at least around average or above average league league payroll. You got to come, you know, they spend money just poorly at times. Um, but also, and to touch on what you what you talked about with Cohen, uh, Aaron, what you said about the Cohen stuff going under the radar, is because this already happened before, and the and the and the sale never happened. So I know media is going to be wary to say this is all official until we get an ownership vote. And even if I'm a Mets fan, I'm not. But I, I like if I'm a Mets fan, I'm not I'm not celebrating this until it's approved in November, and you see Steve Cohen's introduction. Like I would not, I would I would wait. I mean, as, as big of a news as most likely it's going to happen, I feel like anything is possible with Will Ponds and their, for lack of a better phrase, shystiness. I think the audience will know what that means. So let me um, ask you, hold on, so one second. So let me ask you this. So, you know, the vote comes in November. Do you think that there's any chance that he doesn't get approved based on his, you know, past? Yeah, he does have a sketchy past. Um, there have been a couple of reports came out when he first tried to buy the team about uh, i can't say i really know much about it i didn't look into it but there are definitely character and financial dealing issues that weren't a, a major concern when it comes to being able to own and operate a team financially but I, I don't think the vote will not sorry i think the vote will go through but i'm always when it comes to the mets the will ponds and Rob manfred i'm always weary until it actually happens like we've even seen this baseball season sure it happened but it, it kind of took four to six weeks before you couldn't believe it actually was happening based on all the coronavirus tests 
and all the uh, everything like that. Like it only seems like it's now in a really smooth space. And even then, they're still having discussions about trying to figure out the playoffs, which start in under two weeks. Well, it um, looks like they're going to be yeah. in a. It looks like they're going to be in sort of like a campus bubble type environment for the playoffs. I yes, but they that. still have to iron. They still have to iron out details about families. They, that is not officially agreed to yet, and that's like it's really close. And some of these wildcard teams won't be there for long, so it'll be interesting. I'm sure they'll get something done, but again, they, with MLB, I'm always a little weary on, on things I hear. So, so in terms of when I worked at the Mets, I was in their PR group. And you actually have a lot of interaction with the Wilpons and some work with the baseball operations group. So from my understanding at the time, so you had Alderson was the general manager and John Ricco was the assistant GM. This was before they brought back um, Manaya to help out. Uh, it was a pretty small baseball ops staff, maybe about three or four, maybe five people working in analytics, but not full time. And the biggest problem with them, from my understanding, was that Sure, they had all the analytic information. I I can't speak to if it's good or not good, whatever they use. But it when they when your owner is ultimately making the decision, it, it's not going to matter what the analytics are. If the owner doesn't care about the analytics, and I the Wilpons have never cared about analytics because they they always just wanted to run the team how they see how they saw fit. That's why they never really blended well with a lot of the front office people they've had. Because ultimately, when push comes to shove, it's their decision. And if you're if you're a GM you don't want to work for those kinds of people because then you're just stooge. Um, and people know in the, in the industry, like if you work three years as a GM for the Mets, let's say you get to a playoffs, they're not they're going to be like, you just did whatever the Wilpons did anyway. So the owners that are going to want to hire you are going to be owners that want to tell you what to do. Um, uh, in terms of what Cohen should bring, and, I, and something I really like about how he could change the organizational structure and culture is that, He's a Mets fan. I, I love, I, I think it would be a great world we could live in where every sports team could be owned by someone who was at some point a fan of their team. Of course, that's not realistic. Um, but I think that does a lot for how much he's really going to be willing to dive into spending on the team like Moshe touched on. And also, he's going to care a lot about the public perception. And while the Mets PR staff, uh, you know, I, like, I love my former colleagues, but they're a little slow on the uptake with some things. Hmm. Um, I'd, wa- I'd wonder if he'd be looking into just getting out ahead of things instead of just like the the mystery of the Mets news. Whatever news comes out, no one, no one trusts, but it's, whether it's injury news or anything corporate related, like you just don't know what's what until it actually happens. And that's not till well after it actually happens. Sorry. And it's not a great way to run an organization. I mean, even sometimes we were pretty heads up about a lot of things going on in the PR group, but there's still plenty of stuff that would be sprung upon us like last second that only the Wilpons really knew about. And you just can't do that. That's not a good way to run an entire group. If you're working at any other job and your boss and and communication with your boss is key and they don't tell you anything, you're going to be, you're going to be pissed off. You're not going to want to work there and you're not going to be put in a a position to succeed. So it'll be curious to see what it will be like. Then I assume, assuming he doesn't clean house, I'll still be able to talk to people and see what it's like, but it is a good day. It's a great day for Mets fans. It's something I thought we, that Mets fans wouldn't see until they died. This is easily the most optimistic I've ever heard Moshe about the Mets. Like, ever. <laughs> like, it's not even close. Um, so, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for all the Mets fans I know. But I would just, I would be, I would keep that classic Mets cautionism before you jump up for joy. Moshe, I hope that if, well, I just, just make me this promise. If, if 
the vote doesn't go well in November. Just don't do anything drastic until after we record a reaction episode. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. Sure. I would be, you know, obviously I'm always wary because it's the Mets, but there have been a lot of already like straw polls taken and it seems it would be utterly shocking if Steve Cohen was not approved. Uh, I guess there's always that chance, um, but I don't expect it. So I mean, when you first heard about it, when when it happened months ago and the first breaking news came out, did you think it wouldn't happen then? I'm trying to remember exactly what the breaking news story is. I remember that they were close, but then the Wolpons pulled out of the deal because Jeff is a weasel. Um, no, they, the report initially was they had agreed to a deal. There was a lot of excitement by Mets fans that this was happening, and it did not happen. I remember – my recollection was there was excitement because the, basically the reports came that the Wolpons were going to have to sell. Um, and I don't remember exactly how far it went down the first time around with Steve Cohn. It, even though, you know, the Wilpons will still make an obscene amount of money, it does make me happy that because of Jeff Wilpon, um, they have lost quite a bit of money uh, and still sold to the same guy. Um, I'm pretty sure that to the end, Jeff really wanted to sell to A-Rod and the J-Lo group um, because he hates Steve Cohn so much. Uh, that's just kind of icing on the cake. And, and just generally hearing... Um, that they basically are selling because they don't want the team to end up in Jeff Wilpon's hands because everybody in his family hates him. Uh, so that's all great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I assume you blocked I, out I, from anger after that didn't go through. So you might not remember a lot of what happened. It's, it's very possible. All, I mean, I just remember Will, Jeff, the reports coming out that Jeff had basically nixed it uh, and had put in all these different uh, all these different stipulations into the deal and to team control. So now, you know, it seems that Steve Cohn originally wasn't going to get real control for five years, um, but now he's getting it immediately. Uh, so at the end of the day, the Wilpons just kind of screwed themselves out of money and out of more time with the team. But that hopefully all works out for Mets fans. Uh, so it's, it's a well, good do day. Think- and. Do you think you'll be happy when they sign JT Real Muto to a five-year, $130 million contract? Sure. No, that's Why not? a terrible contract. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never happen. I, I went so no, hard on well, he would give me a yes response. Uh, hopefully, the first thing they do is uh, extend Conforto, uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, guys, thoughts on the baseball season in general? Um, I'm sure Phil hasn't watched since the second week of the season because he's had no reason to. Uh, Moshe, I know I'm sure you've watched a little bit because DeGrom is awesome. Uh, what are your thoughts on the season so far? A couple of high-level um, you know, observations. Um, I mean, the Mets have been <laughs> really – they've been extremely Metsian in a condensed amount of time. They have found ways to lose – in every single possible way. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, due to the extended playoffs, uh, they're, I believe, only a game or a game and a half out of the wild cards, one of those wild card spots. Um, so the Mets, they have their fun, you know, they have DeGrom and they have some really great young offensive players that are fun to watch. But, you know, generally a frustrating, typical Mets season. Overall, um, I think the baseball season has been fun. You know, there are a couple of teams like the White Sox and the Padres who have arrived earlier or a little bit ahead of schedule, um, getting to see, you know, Fernando Tatis just become a superstar and 
hopefully MLB will be able to figure out how to capitalize on it because he's so fun to watch and he's a great personality and he's great for the game. Um, well, unless he's swinging, you know, unless he's swinging 3-0 when he's up by what, eight runs? You don't like that. Yeah, who, who cares though? <laughs> The, the Mets blew a six-run lead in the ninth inning to the Yankees like two weeks ago. So there's no guarantees. I have no – you know, if you don't want to give up a grand slam, don't load the bases and don't fall behind 3-0 and don't be losing by eight runs. It's your fault uh, if you suck. Agreed. It's I also, it's also it. great coverage for the league. I mean, they don't take any coverage they can get, so they should be thrilled yeah. that that all happened. It's true. Um, I mean, look, the the Rays are good hanging on in, in the AL East. The funny thing was like everybody freaked out because the Yankees played crappy for 10 days or so. And now they have hit like 18 home runs in three days. Crappy. They lost 15 uh, of 18. It was horrific. Yeah, it's, it's the Yankees and they were never not going to make the playoffs when there were eight teams making the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to find any sympathy or empathy for Yankee fans in any situation. You guys have had, had it good for quite a long time um but the season's been fun uh you know at the end of the day it's it's nice that it's been back hopefully the playoffs roll without a hitch um the only bad thing that's come out of it really is that now manfred apparently wants to keep the extended playoffs uh even once we go back to a regular schedule which kind of ruins the whole point of 162 games if half the league is going to make the playoffs um but you know they managed to get the season going and there have been a lot of highlights, so been enjoying it. Yeah, I'd rather them not do this eight-team playoff thing next year, assuming we have a normal season. That's just my uh, my two cents. Phil, uh, have you watched at all since the I Red have, Sox? Because, because the Red Sox have a top-five offense in baseball. I think people like to forget that. Um, and they'll finish the year probably around like 20 and 40, 22 and 38, which obviously isn't good. But if you considering their pitchers are largely their their entire pitching staff are largely guys like that probably weren't much better than I was when I was seventeen eighteen. It's not you know twenty two and thirty eight is great. <laughs> I mean you got some of these guys that they throw out there. I mean Martin Perez is their best pitcher. That's that's like a that's crazy thing for a baseball fan. Um, someone sent me a, a t- uh, tweet joking that the two starters that one starter was subbed out for Mike Kickham. Like, you don't know either of these guys' names. And I was ashamed that I knew who Mike Pickham was. Um, but the point is that um, they're still – that's the thing. And Moshe touched on this before. Like, you have the Padres and the White Sox emerging a year early. But realistically, it's a 60-game season. Padres might be more for real for over the course of 162 games. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised if next year, assuming everything's the same, the White Sox are an 80 to 85 win team. Like, it's, it's too long to really um, – to tell the Padres that because of the Clevenger trade, I think really, really put themselves in a great position moving forward, assuming he doesn't go and yeah. and they sign him. I think he's under control for three more years. Well, then fine. The insane part is the more, more so. Also, I'm always a fan of signing guys early if you have the money um, yeah. for longer control. But, you know, I don't know what their money situation is. But shout shout out to J- the- hold on one second. Shout out to James Shields for being traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. That 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 worked out um, well. Unbelievable. I'm I'm sure he'll appreciate the shout out. Um, you know this Padre used to be owned by the guy who owned, who founded McDonald's. How, why did he ever give up the team? I feel like that guy had plenty of money. He could have owned a baseball team forever. Not the point. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, but in terms of the <laughs> baseball season, I I've been watching for fantasy purposes because I'm very much in it in one league and. Very much not in another league, <clears throat> Moshe. Um, <laughs> so, 
Uh, so I've been watching a lot in terms of starting pitchers and guys across the league. And there's definitely, I feel like for the first time in a bit, there's more of the, because of the short season, you get the Donovan Solano types on the Giants who are hitting 340 or whatever they are. And, and like Luke Voigt, as of yesterday, Luke Voigt, if he played a full 162 games, he would hit 70 and a half home runs. Oh, you mean insane. MVP frontrunner, AL MVP frontrunner, Luke Unfortunately, he will, not, he will not be MVP frontrunner because he doesn't play defense, so it will hurt him. I think he should be in the running, but they'll vote for Trout or they'll vote for somebody else. Hold um, on one second. Can we talk about that for a sec, voting for Trout every year? Like, I know it's be, become, like, sexy to get, to talk about war and all this stuff, but, like, Mike Trout's teams are always bad. Like, at a I certain mean, point, can, what are we doing yeah, but here? It, Look at his numbers. Both, Hose, his both Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson have, you know, Abreu is having a tremendous year and that's a great, yeah. I'm playing for a great team. Uh, fine, fine. That's fine. Then vote him the MVP. They're good. I, I've just, like, but is it really Mike the Trout Mike Trout stuff, it's just enough for it. But they're throwing out, you know, Andrew Heaney, Griffin Cannon, Dylan Bundy. And can you name three or four guys in their bullpen? Probably not. Like, it's not his fault that that's the case. Andrew Heaney, I happen to see, he's having a really good season. I mean, he finally. He was because he has a four ERA? <laughs> traded a few times. I don't know. But like, he's, good season for these guys are three mid threes to high fours. They have no one who's going to yeah. be elite. Like, they're they're all mediocre at best. It's, I don't it's know. It's a tough I spot just, for Trout to be in. I, I, I think I Abreu will fine, But just... I, at a certain point, like the goal is to win games, and I I know wins. Yeah, but like, not... l- look who's on the Yankees, and look who's on, you know, DJ LeMahieu yeah. is also an MVP candidate. Luke Voigt yeah, is an MVP candidate. The Yankee, Yankees are just stacked. Sure, and but half the roster was hurt. Half the roster was hurt after the year. Judge has barely played. Stanton has barely played. LeMahieu was on the disabled list twice. I should say the injured list twice. Good, good save. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm sorry. You know, but it's... they also have a top four pitcher in the American League in Garrett Cole. They have Tanaka's been pretty good this year in the bullpen. And LeMayu has still played 40 games this year. I just like, don't want to see Mike really Trout good. win the MVP on a last-place team when there are other deserving candidates. Get yell at the Angels front office, tell them to stop signing the worst starting pitching available, <laughs> and maybe instead of sending – Spending, I mean, I like Rendon, but that money could be spent elsewhere big time next offseason on pitchers. Hopefully they do it. But they didn't need Rendon. <laughs> it's great to have Who him. Who is also having a great year. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And they're still in last place or whatever it might be. Yeah. Second last no, place. Been... I, I just, baseball awards season needs to be just overhauled. One last thing before we go. So are you guys ready for the 8-8 eight eight Cowboys season again? They're not gonna I'll take 8-8. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, they should be better than 8-8. One week isn't enough to – obviously, I was mad, but one week isn't enough to make me think they're not going to go better than – you still go 10-6, 9-7 at the worst. But I would hope enough of the public pushback of what McCarthy did Sunday – I hope he's a more hyper aware than Garrett was because, like, he'll have to understand there's something he's not going to be able to get away with from a public perspective and a Jerry Jones perspective. And his handling of the game at key moments last week was was really bad. I mean, that was yeah. I was sick afterwards. It's not like he doesn't have a track record of of 
doing weird things during uh during games and and having uh, a lack of a uh, sense of timing. But oh, but no, he does. He does have a track record of that. Like the last. I mean, Green, he do it in Green Bay, you can get away with it. Do it in Dallas one week, and you're screwed. Yeah. Moshe, what say, you, what, say, what say you when Football Outsiders like ranks them like second in the league and stuff, and they go eight and eight, like we had the conversation <laughs> last year? I mean, it always comes that kind of stuff. And I said it last year; it comes down to coaching. Um, you know, I know how much you hate Dak, but he PFF ranked him as the fifth best quarterback performance-wise this past week. And you know, you watch the game, and it's questionable decision making. It's in the second half, they ran on first down on 10 of 13 of their possessions, and they averaged, you know, a little over four yards a carry on those first down runs, which is fine, but Dak was averaging 11 yards a pass on first down, and Mike McCarthy's talking about how much he embraced analytics, and then you watch the game, and it feels like the same old Cowboys, and that's definitely frustrating. Um, I still think they're too talented to, you know, especially looking at the division, the Eagles look bad. Giants are not good. Uh, the Washington football team has a really, really good defense, um, but their offense stinks. By the way, do they have a very good defense? The Eagles' offensive line and skill position, then running back, that's totally depleted. That's true, like but I some of the Arizona. You know, they play Arizona. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a very good test for them. That'll be a good test. Uh, but Chase Young and Kerrigan looked great. Um, so they just look like they have a front seven that's going to cause. Uh, or at least a front four that's going to cause some problems. Um, you know, the Cowboys, if they're already the problem right now, you know, last year they, they had a mediocre season and they were healthy and now they're already getting bit by injuries uh, this year. Um, but, you know, the Rams are a tough offense to play in week one. Uh, they still hold on to only 20 points. And I just want to see a little more creativity out of the offense. Um, they have too many weapons to have put up a performance like they did. Um, yeah, but We'll see. We'll see what happens. A lot, a lot of Aaron, smart. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I don't know yeah, if you guys heard last week, Motion Aaron, but Alden Smith has spent five years away from football, and he just looked he was great. great. I don't know if you guys – I was on the broadcast. Chris Bates, all they talked about. It was – they showed every play of his every five minutes. I get it, but, like, yeah. come on, guys. <laughs> I did hear that. Uh, I heard that a lot. He played um, really well. But he he was good. He was good. Um, yeah, but I mean, he was a great player so when before he had all his issues. Yeah, it is crazy that okay. the level that he played at coming back after so long. Yeah. So no, um, where, where 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 was CD Lamb last week? <laughs> he had a good game. Where were any the receivers? <laughs> None of the yeah. receivers were used much. They didn't pass the ball. They didn't. They didn't. I don't think Dak threw one or more than one deep ball. Like uh. And the one deep and then ball he does throw was an offensive pass interference, which was a terrible call. As yeah, that, one, that was that was a pretty Martin terrible call. That was a pretty terrible yeah. call. Did uh, you see the play last? You guys watched it last gonna... night. Which one I last? Night? I watched highlights this morning. The Browns game. I watched most I watched highlights this morning. Odell was running free, and the DB just grabbed his jersey. Oh yeah, no no call. Yeah, that, that. that was unbelievable. A full fistful of the jersey, uh, no call. But yeah. Uh, I actually picked the the Cowboys to win the division at uh, nine and seven because I think the division is going to be garbage again this year. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just depressed that new season and the Giants don't look like they know how to run block. It's just it's just. Uh, I mean, there there was so much Jason Garrett in that game. The Giants yeah, played that last was... week. 
Uh, it looks very similar to everything we've watched for about the last eight years. I saw a good, I don't remember if it was a tweet or whatever it was, but he has to understand that Saquon and Zeke are not, the, you know, they're both great players, but they are not the same style of running back. And there was a lot of Zeke-type offense or Cowboys-type offense and not putting Saquon in positions to succeed uh, like he should. And obviously Saquon running the ball was got destroyed last week. Um, but just a lot okay. of, second and long runs, screen passes that get blown up. <laughs> there was the one drive when uh, Daniel Jones got hit inside the five and he threw the pick where it was like a 15 play 80 yard or 40 yard drive. And that ended in interception. And then yeah. the most Jason Garrett possible thing. Well, I'm glad that I didn't watch this game live because I would have gotten uh, all upset about it. But so yeah, I, I guess I, uh, I missed out on an opportunity to have a serious headache. I actually think the Giants will get better as the year goes on. I do think um, there's, there is a lot of talent there. I really like Shepard and Slayton and, and Ingram, as long as Ingram's healthy. And it's just a matter and of – Golden Tate will come back. Do they know what's going on around them? And the defense might be, like, really bad. Like, that's something I'm curious to see them play a little bit of a more in-tune offense than Pittsburgh was last week. But, uh, I mean, at least they got that first-round cornerback they kept – uh, from last year, that he did a great job Monday, right? Come on now, <laughs> come on. Oh, sorry, he was a, sorry, he was a the cut My bad, my mistake. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he well, he, he tried to murder a couple of people, so I guess he deserved <laughs> he deserved to be uh to cut. All right, guys. Anyway, uh, it's good to catch up with you guys again. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh. Always a pleasure to talk uh, to talk baseball with you guys and 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 rip on the Cowboys and the Giants uh, and we should do it again soon. Thanks again. Yeah, and uh, next week right. you can catch the Oodles of Oodles podcast with Bosha Cook on the Ringer Network. Yeah, that's big, big, big breaking news. Big breaking news. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, guys, speak to you guys soon. Thanks so much. All right, have a good one. Thanks again to my guests, uh, recurring guests Phil Bausk and Moshe Cook. A great episode as per usual. That is episode 89 for the love of the game. Shana Tova to all and take us out. B.I.G. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.